Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You are listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction, Blog Talk Radio Show, founded to increase the national awareness of black women in the construction industry. NABWIC is the charge and takes the charge for black women to advocate for further opportunities to its members. Our mission as a core foundation is to strengthen the building blocks of new educational, entrepreneurial, professional, and social network connections. The vision of NABWIC is to build long-lasting strategic partnerships with first-rate organizations and individuals that will provide groundbreaking and innovative solutions for black women in construction and their respective communities. We invite you to call or text or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the Internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Good morning. This is Ursula with NABWIC Speaks, and I am the CEO of Sula2, and we make news and we capture your story and present it to the world because we make old, new, and everything we do. Today we have a wonderful guest, as usual, and the person that I'm bringing to you today is S.L. Wells. She is the founder and CEO of Abundant Health Services. She has a bachelor's in health education and exercise sports sciences with a minor in dance. She's a certified health educator and retired athletic athletic trainer. Ms. Wells and her dynamic team have provided outstanding massage, health education, and conference planning services to thousands across the U.S. and over for over 17 years. She specializes in Well, she specialized in injury care and prevention. Her talents afforded her rare offers that would have made her the first female athletic trainer in the NBA and MLB. Ms. Wells was one of only few head female athletic trainers in arena football. She has published articles, conducts health workshops for churches and libraries. Her company has serviced celebrities, including Les Brown, Tamara Mann, Fat Joe, and professional athletes for Miami Heat, Dolphins, Devil Rays, and major sports events and festivals like the Super Bowl, colleges, convention centers, plays, including Tyler Perry Studios, and concerts, Jazz in the Gardens, which made her which made her company one of the South Florida's most sought-after sports medicine and entertainment massage companies. She has dedicated her life to proficiently teaching, healing, comforting, esteeming, and motivating the masses. Good morning, Ms. Wells. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good, good morning. morning. I'm so glad lovely. to have you. Good, good. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm excited about listening to you this morning or having a conversation with you this morning because, you know, regardless of what industry you're in, health means something. So (laughs) um, tell us about how you got started. Well, um, I would say the way I initially got started on this uh, path of health uh, was through my grandmother. Uh, When I was in fifth grade, around 11 years old, um, my grandmother got really, really sick, and um, she came to live with us. Um, 
I gave up my bed literally so that uh, she could uh, have somewhere, you know, to sleep. And I just, the nurses, every time they would come, um, you know, to take care of her. And one of the nurses taught me how to do what she was doing for my grandmother because she was going to lose uh, her foot eventually. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, why is this happening? And then I knew of three other people in my neighborhood whose grandmothers were going through a uh, a similar uh, thing. So long story short, my grandmother passed away uh, a couple of months later, and uh, she was with me. And I just remember her always telling me, like, I was really good with my hands. And I just, even though I was very young, I just thought 59 was rather young to be dying. And within that year, at least five of the matriarchs within my my local community had passed away from heart disease. And it just stuck with me, and I was just like, wait a minute. When I was in school, they, you know, was talking to us about, like, preventable things. And so that is really what, like, lit the fire within me to want to do something and to learn more and educate myself about health and, in turn, educate the community uh, at large. And then my next moment was my 10th grade health class. I just knew sitting in that class, listening to uh, my teacher at the time, I just knew that was something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I literally said that the first day of class, listening to her. And have you ever looked back? I mean, what has it been like since that decision? Oh, yeah, man. It was a long road to actually get into the teaching side because at the moment I shared it with my teachers, they were like, no, 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 no. One thing you don't do is don't teach. So I took the long way home. Um, so I was encouraged to stay away from that and let that be my retirement career and to go and make money first, maybe on like a healthcare practical side. So when I got to college, I looked at certain programs. I knew I wanted to be involved with something where I would be physically helping people to get better. Um, I thought maybe it would be practicing medicine, but when I saw that doctors weren't necessarily as hands-on with actually, you know, physically like treating like patients in the sense of physical therapy, uh, type stuff. So that's when I decided upon the physical therapy path. And then I love sports. So when I found out about the sports medicine program, it was just like a happy marriage between the two. I get the the one to be around sports and then two be around actually physically helping people to either prevent, you know, injuries or helping them to get back to, you know, their, their athletic level uh, that they once had before the injury. So that is um, how I got into the sports medicine uh, side of things. And I gradually ended up on the teaching side of things because I noticed a common thread. Like there's a physical side to pain, but I also realized that there was an emotional aspect to recovering and getting um, back from injuries. And it didn't matter whether someone was playing professional sports or if they were just a physically active person. Didn't matter the age, demographics, backgrounds. I just started noticing common trends and then I would start getting requests naturally through working with people to to come and speak or to do interviews, uh, articles, uh, you name it. But it, it all kind of organically grew from there. Now, you raised a number of questions, but I want to go back to when you were were talking about when you got started. You reminded me of why this is so fascinating for me personally. My daughter, when she was in high school, she ended up wrapping ankles for the football team, and she was the only little girl that was able to travel with the football team on the football bus. (laughs) She had to sit by the coach, couldn't sit back there with the boys, but nevertheless, she traveled with them. And I thought that was so cool, and I wanted her to go into sports medicine, sent the child to college to do that, and she's uh, she loves babies. So she's um, a Head Start teacher, and she loves it and is extremely good at it, but I wanted her to be a you, but she's going to be a her. <laughs> Great. No, and, and I get it. You know, another thing. <laughs> Yeah, and another thing is, like, I'm a a bit rebellious by nature, and the fact that people told me I couldn't do it when I was in college, it made me want it that much more. It made me want to break through some of the glass ceilings that are on women, typically, who go into sports medicine. So it's not uncommon 
um, that your daughter would be one of very few, you know, that got to travel with the football team. And it, it's tough work, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm glad she found her path. Um, a lot of people who yeah. end up in sports medicine have some kind of a, usually some type of a teaching bug within them um, is what I found. Mm-hmm. So that's why you, they recommend when you go through a college program that you take, you know, fulfill or either get a minor degree in education. So I did that um as well. So I not only minored in dance, I did minor in education just in case I wanted to switch over and I'm glad I did. Now, when you were talking about um the healing process, I actually have a note down here to ask you about this and I what I wrote down was accelerated he, healing process. So when we hear about athletes getting injured and then going through all these programs to to get them back on track and they can get back on the field in such a short period of time, that obviously means that they're getting some kind of treatment that the average person doesn't get. So what is that process like? I mean, what? just give us an insight into some of that. Okay, so typically, and a lot of people wonder why when they go to just a traditional physical therapy, why um, it takes so much longer to, to heal versus with um, in a sporting environment. Uh, athletes are looked at as assets. So in a physical therapy clinic, they could do the very same thing, but, you know, the the way that you can pay the bills is, you know, to stretch it out as long as possible in the long game. Uh, owners, coaches, athletic directors, they want the very opposite. They need to be able to get the player back out on the field as quickly, as safely, and as healthily as uh, possible. So we just cut out all of the fat in in essence. Uh, we just get right down to the nitty-gritty of what a person needs. It's it's no different than how Michael Jordan said that you, he practiced so much and that's how he got so good at the jump shot. That's basically how rehab goes uh, in sports medicine. It's just it's very fine-tuned to the injury um, from down to the things that you eat. Um, even when you're at rest, you show athletes how to do things when they're just laying in bed. You know, like it's it's well-rounded, well-oiled machine to get you back. It's like you get all the possible attention in the world specifically for that thing. And then also for the wise organizations um, that are out there in sports, they also incorporate the sports psychology aspect because you can do as much as you want to do for an athlete on a physical side of rehabbing them, but if they haven't mentally been able to cope and deal with the injury, that happened because it's traumatic when people go through injuries. So it won't work. They won't come back if you don't deal with the phys- with the emotional and psychological side, and that's what I began to notice uh, through the years of, you know, being in the field is that, whoa, wait a minute, you can be phenomenal phenomenal at the physical part, but if the emotional part is not addressed, it's dead in the water. And I can understand that from several different levels. Even when thinking about my daughter, she told me once that, um, well, two things that happened. One, somebody was injured because she was not there, and they tried to blame her. You weren't there, so you didn't wrap my ankle, and I got hurt. Or, or mm-hmm. somebody uh, would get hurt, and she'd turn around and, and, and say, get over yourself. You're going to be all right. Come on, come on. And so I saw this little person dealing with that emotional, you know, trying to get him not to sink into the fact that he'd gotten a little injured, you know, not anything serious, but, you know, like, um, I don't know, it wasn't, I'm not talking about a serious injury, but something that hurt him for, for a moment, and she was saying, okay, come on, you'll be all right, come on, come on. But when you talk about the the emotional part of it, I think of it on a, a serious level of life, it does yes. seem as if if someone believes that they're going to die young, they usually do. And that's right. kind of strange to me because I see it happening all the time. It's like um, my family, the you know, mm-hmm. the women, well, the men die young, and then the women live to 80s and 90s. So I never even thought about anything short of that, right? But then I get around people and it's like, what, 50 years old? Really? <laughs> you know. And part of it is because they they think that's going to happen and they live a life like that. So 
that's that's a thought. Now, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, see, like, I think about, like, hypertension, the high cholesterol, you name it, all of that is a common thread. And with the way my family history and the track record that I've had, um, I should have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and be on trend to have some type of heart infection um, somewhere along the lines of either, you know, my late 40s, if not early 50s. Um, as many of the other females in my family. But I set a goal. After I really got educated as to what were the contributing factors that would have caused my grandmother to get gangrene and, and high blood pressure, I made a goal. I said, that won't be me. That may be everyone else, but that will not be my story. I made a commitment, and I once I went to the doctor for the first time and got to, you know, take a look and talk about all my labs, you know, he told me because of my family history, we had higher sodium levels, which means I was going to have to do something intentional to decrease the amount of sodium. So the same amount of sodium that someone else, the average person may have that may not affect them, it would affect me differently. So I made it a point from high school and even up till now uh, to make sure that I have low sodium um a low-sodium-based diet just so that I could at least have a normal, you know, shot at not having high cholesterol and, you know, and hypertension and, and you know, lead myself to an early death, you know, in my 50s. Uh, so I am a firm believer that it is, there is a mental component uh, to this. And I just believe that if you think that you're going to die young, and that if you believe that you can't change something, you won't. Uh, I believe it was Jim Rome that said, uh, whether a man thinks uh, he can or he can't, either way, you're right. So, I mean, we can't overpower <laughs> yeah. your belief. You, that that transcends in all parts of life, and that's why I'm enjoying doing the, the teaching and speaking aspect of things now because I realize it transcends. This is not just about... Uh, sports. It's just not even about just only the African-American, you know, community and the, the things that impact them on a health level. I've been able to expand and realize this thing is universal, that all communities have certain types of health beliefs that are really holding them back. I mean, now in America, a lot of people don't realize the overweight category used to be one of the larger categories. Uh, now it's the obese category. We have more people in the U.S. that are obese than we do in the overweight category. We're literally eating wow. ourselves to early grave. We have you know, actually, there was 20 the, girls with type 2 diabetes. I had coined the phrase for the family reunion a few years back. I said death by suicide. I mean, death, suicide by food is what I said. And literally. Um, ignore, yeah. And because people were dropping dead around Christmas and um, major holidays, so that's when we ate so much. And I, you know, I I was just amazed when I thought about that, and it became so obvious that that what was that's what was happening. But when you were talking about the sodium level for for me, I feel like every ten years something changes with my body that. Either I have to make an adjustment of some kind, and at some point I realized that the things that had the little cellophane um, covers inside, those little bags, anything that came in one of those, I knew I couldn't eat because they they were like salt <laughs> on a stick. But you know. Yes. But anyway, well, a lot of people realize uh, that you know with technology, guess what? Also, uh, got better. Food scientists got better at giving you know, uh, large food you know, nutrition companies, a uh, cheaper product and a way to cut corners legally with, you know, getting products out there that would, like, physically, you know, and chemically addict uh, people. So the same foods that people think that they had when they were kids that didn't have a, a, a you know, a harmful effect, it's very different nowadays. So now that they're giving them to their kids and their grandkids, it's having a much more detrimental effect, and that's why you're seeing the obesity in kids, um, even kids dropping dead on football fields, you know, unknown to the family. It's a lot of the foods that we're actually giving to the kids, they're just not, they're not ready for. Like, they're not, we are not aware of what we're doing. They're they're connected. And 
you know, when I think in terms of um, companies putting different chemicals into products and we, we trust that food supply and what have you, I think about um, cigarettes. I heard this announcement where they were putting or uh, they were going to allow them to put three or four more ingredients in the cigarettes. And one of them was ammonia, if I could remember correctly, and I may have it wrong. But at the time, whatever it was, it was going to cause the person to inhale deeper. And I had a relative that smoked, and that angered me so. I mean, I was just upset. So, you know, when we think of what's in our food today, um, it it makes you wonder because, People are coming up with allergies that I never heard of before, you know, and, and all of these conditions. The only thing I used to be allergic to back in the day was citric acid. Well, when I think about it, that was probably a modified chemical too, but in nature that that was a problem. Um, right. So what, what are the things that you see today that we need to be alerted to in any of the industry that you're working with? Um, I would say for sure um, dairy. That is something that I think all of us, and listen, I love dairy, but I've had to make some modifications. A lot of people don't realize what they're doing to kids, and specifically not just any dairy. Um, I'm, I want to get to cheese because if you think about a lot of the foods that we love and are addicted to and the things that we give kids, babies, very uh, – very early on, like at one and up, is things like pizza and cheeseburgers and things like that, a lot of people don't realize that there's traces of morphine that's in it. So you're basically giving a small child a chemical as strong as morphine. And think about it. Back, you know, in, in the day, in decades, you kids ate more home-cooked meals. But if you throw in now a kid is eating out and getting cheese pretty much three, four, five times a week, and keep in mind, things have gotten, we have food scientists, food technology has gotten better. So child's brain really set up to be addicted, like we're chemically addicting them to foods that are going to harm them not to mention all the other studies that you can go through with the amount of pus that's in the, the cow's milk. And I mean, there's just so many things that would make your stomach turn. But the biggest thing I would ask people to start making modifications and reducing, if not, you know, trying to almost pull out is, is would be the, key, uh, the cheese and especially giving it to young children um, because it's alarming. Uh, with what's happening, and if the trend continues, um, one out of four kids, every four kids, will have type 2 diabetes by the time they're 20. By the time they're 20, type wow. 2. So, like, this is not something that, this is not sensational. I just really hope that aunts, parents, cousins, whomever, because we're, it's all, we're a village. We, it is our responsibility to look out for our young people, and parents just don't know. Like, they think it's the same as what they had. They think it's the same Kraft cheese that they grew up with, or they think it's the same Velveeta cheese that they grow up with. It's not the same. None of it is the same. They want you to buy their product. And, yeah, and I'm I'm a country girl, so I know what the change tastes like from something that I yes. taste when I was growing up versus now. But I tell you what, we have a caller that wants to ask a question. So sure. It is a caller from the 415 area code. Okay. Uh, good morning. You have a yes. question. Good, mo- good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good lovely. Can you hear me? You? Yes. Oh, yes. good. This is Jackie What's Perry, actually. Yeah. Hi, um, Jackie. I thought that was you. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to call in and just listening to the fascinating conversation. And uh, I did have a question because, number one, I, I recognize that this is such an important topic and that you manage uh, that within your business, you know, the health and wellness of individuals and, you know, their organizations. Um, my question was this. 
how do you um, integrate and balance? So your organi- your company has grown definitely, and uh, as I've read your uh, bio, you work with a lot of high-profile uh, clients. But in managing the health, you know, directly uh, in terms of what you do, uh, managing the education component, and then blending that with all the uh, administrative things that you have to do with a business, you know, the leadership and the oversight. How do you um, work to blend those two components so successfully? Uh, that question is for me? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yes, I I did it very poorly at first, <laughs> which uh, resulted in a lot of weight gain uh, for me initially, and it took, um, I would say, probably about five years before I really kind of got, I would say, the courage to put boundaries upon things, to learn how to delegate uh, certain things, and I just got to a point where uh, certain health, personal health practices became an absolute must for me. So, like, my early morning time, so I shifted um, the time that I get up in the morning. So that is where I accomplish uh, the things that I, I definitely need. I had to make certain modifications, um, even with uh, preparing, like, my meals. And um, I had to allow some things just go undone. Some I have to let a little small things uh, fall to the wayside because I am one person and there are 24 hours uh, in a day, so I, I have had to really, really work hard at saying no more. Um, mm-hmm. I still uh, work a lot, a lot of hours. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I had to make um, modifications, especially as I began to age. Uh, it'll take a toll on your body, um, so I make mm-hmm. sure now that I'm getting more sleep, um, and I'm like a a, a time militant like I'm I'm like a military police (laughs) over my time now and uh, I'm pretty tough about certain things that have to get done and I front load my wheat so it gives me a little wiggle room and I read um not read it was a it was a program I watched and it was called it was about scripting your setbacks so um, I'm prepared whenever a setback or something's going to throw me off as life inevi- inevitably does. I already mm-hmm. have a good idea as to what my response needs to be if X, Y, and Z happens or if this doesn't happen at this time. I just, I'm really good at also adjusting now um, and, and making a new plan because I've already kind of have a shell of a plan as a backup. Um, so that has helped me with dealing with balancing uh, it all. And then sometimes I just I don't do as well sometimes on the personal side uh, at certain points in, the, in, in my career because it is seasonal. There are peaks and valleys to it, and it's just sometimes you have to manage your expectations of what's going to uh, be possible. And like I said, it took me five years before I finally figured it out. You know, sometimes you'll get an A in your personal life and you may get a B business-wise or management-wise and vice versa. It's just realizing what's at stake at that moment and at that time and during that season. Um, I hope that helps to answer your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you for sharing and thank you for your transparency and uh, with that question. Appreciate that. Absolutely. And thank you, Jackie, for asking the question. And you are also reminding me of where we are and what we're doing. This is NAVWIC Speaks, which is the National Association of Black Women in Construction. So that raises the question, especially since uh, Jackie talked about managing your life as far as the, um, the administrative and business part of it. Tell us about your association with NAVWIC and how you've made this organization work for you? Um, for me, what's so interesting is the way I was exposed to it was through Ms. Uh, Ann McNeil. And I did that. I was like, Ann, I'm in health. I don't understand why you want me to come to a meeting. And just through naturally sitting in on a meeting, uh, one of the ladies, I forget her name. I can't remember if it was 
if she worked for Turner Construction or if her last name was Ms. Turner. Long story short, she just happened to ask me uh, what I did, and I told her what I did for a, um, a living. And she ended up booking my company to do their retreat. And honestly, my relationship with NABWIC just organically grew from that. And just listening to um, the ladies at the meetings that um, Ms. Ann McNeil would have, I just noticed there was so, even though we were in different industries, there were still common um, threads and trends. And a lot of the things that I was faced with in sports medicine, because it's such a male-dominated field, I noticed that there were a lot of parallel and similarities with in NABWIC with women in construction because it's a similar uh, dynamic. So it honestly gave me like a safe place of feeling like, one, I was less alone as a professional woman, and number two, that I could continue to push the envelope, seeing how women in construction were still pushing the envelope in their industry. So that's how um, my relationship with NABWIC um, started and blossomed. Absolutely wonderful. And this is a, a benefit of being a member of NABWIC to be able to share your story about your company, your life, and your association with NABWIC. So to our listening audience, this is a benefit for you as a member. So take advantage of it. But I have to tell you, being the host of this show is totally fascinating because I get to have this conversation with someone like yourself and learn from a personal and a professional basis. And I'm so glad that Jackie called in because, quite frankly, I try to be as interested in my guests as I hope my audience is, and you are absolutely fascinating. So tell us about some of the um, – uh, well, it's just fact, not brag, as they say. Um, tell us about some of the associations that you've had in your profession. I mean, you list some pretty incredible people, um, Les Brown, Tamara Mann. Oh, man, I, I can tell you the story as to um, – how the Les Brown connection came. It was, and this is so, <laughs> not, um, if people have not had the pleasure of meeting with Ann McNeil, like, she's amazing, and it, it pays to listen to her. Um, this came as a result of one of the, the meetings that I attended at NAB, with uh, NABWIC. One of the ladies who was there uh, happened to need uh, help uh, in her office. She needed someone to volunteer. There was some type of conference that was uh, going on during the summer um, months. Things are it's it's kind of like a, a downtime prep time for me. So I had a little time, and Les Brown was on my vision board. Like I literally, people thought I was crazy to think I was gonna get the opportunity to work with him. But this is again that power of association and 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 envisioning what you want, and um, you know just not taking no for an answer. So I had no idea Les Brown was going to be one of the guest speakers uh, for that conference. I volunteered just out of the kindness of my heart, um, you know, to help out in that office and answer phones for them. Um, and I happened to pick up the phone. Someone was lost. And lo and behold, guess who it was that was calling? It was Les Brown. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> this was me volunteering my time, you know, just simply helping out another member in their office uh, that day. And he began to just ask me a couple of questions. I gave him the information. He was like, wow, you know, you just sound so pleasant and happy. Um, what do you do, you know, but I ask. And because he, he said he didn't hear my voice before. I guess he's called there before. And I explained to him, and he was like, wow, you know, every time I go into a city, I'm always looking for someone. I have, a, you know, uh, a lot of pain a lot of times after I um, do, you know, workshops or speaking engagements. You know, are you available, you know, this evening? And I was just blown away. So that's how um, that connection came. And when I tell you when you do right, uh, by people, if you're good at what you do, you take time to hone your craft and perfect the gifts that God has given you. Um, I'm telling you, it truly will make room from you for you. I mean, I, it just grew. All it takes is getting one person like that, and if you get recommended, they will op they can open up so many more doors uh, 
for you. I had a friend that helped me just at least get a meeting at the James L. Knight Center, which is how I ended up um, getting to do a lot of the work that I got to do for Tyler Perry Studios with the title Tyler Perry Studios at the time, but when they were traveling doing plays and Tamla um, Mann and her husband were, um, you know, two of the stars that would come. And when I tell you I'm just so grateful that I got that contract with the James L. Knight Center, even though people told me as a woman I was insane to think that I would get a standing contract with a convention center, but it opened that door for me to connect with the Tyler Perry Studios and in turn with the celebrities um, that were coming. And, again, the referrals just continued to come. So that's how I got to work with Tamla Mann, amongst other people. And it was a similar situation with how I got to work with uh, Fat Joe, who became a really, really good client of mine. He was actually my first major um, client. And just as you build your roster, again, it builds trust with people. And it's a very small circle in South Florida to those who are in the top of the food chain. And if you, you know, make sure you nurture those relationships and, again, take the time to perfect your, your craft, you know, the, the sky is truly the limit. And that's how I got to garner a larger clientele. And it was a similar process to me getting with the Super Bowl. I got 17 no's before they finally told me yes. I just refused to give up regardless of people thinking that I was insane to think as a woman that I would get chosen. It was unheard of. No different than the Orange Bowl. I worked the Orange Bowl five years straight. So I just, I do my best to try to not only um, encourage peers, but also the next generation of women um, and young ladies coming up. Like, don't stop at your first no. Like, there's no limit as to what you can accomplish if you just keep at it, keep going for your dreams, and make sure you take the time to to get good at something, you know, perfect something, something that's going to add value to people. And the doors will open. You just can't give up. And I just, I was one of those kids that just, I never gave up. And I can I can fully understand that. I hear it, I believe it, and then you have the evidence to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I set a goal for college, now, which was to be the first uh, female athletic trainer in the NBA. Although I turned down both offers, it, I was satisfied in knowing that I got that opportunity. And hopefully somebody in the future will eventually, you know, do it. It still hasn't been done yet. Now, there, there. You, you list in your extended bio that you, one of your favorite books is uh, Think and Grow Rich, and you can't talk about Miss Ann McNeil yes. without talking about Ooh. Nabwick and Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> so I, I hear a lot of that in some of the things that you're saying, but let's talk about it. What, how has that changed your life? It completely changed my life. I can honestly tell you, if, and I'm so glad that she made me buy it that I just truly believe when you have to invest, like it was at the point where I was introduced to that book, it was a pretty low point uh, for me in my life professionally, um, personally, you know, I was just, you know, getting started. I had experienced a couple of setbacks, you know, I just, I was just stepping into adulthood. I really, you know, was still trying to figure this thing out and wasn't quite sure why certain things weren't happening, even though I was following the steps. And that book made all the difference, honestly. Like, I am so grateful for the principles um, that are there. And it's so simplistic. It's so, like, practical and realistic, but the the burning desire. And just (laughs) that in and of itself. And I was like, okay. I'm not just crazy. Like, there's somebody else out there that, you know, there's a science to achievement. Like, this is right for me to have this burning desire for it. And then the organized planning and the masterminding, like, I just, taking that and being accountable. I used to go, Ms. Ann used to uh, teach a class every Tuesday. And so she would constantly, you had to be prepared to have a conversation about the book. And I know that she does that with, I'm sure, with NABWIC. 
Um, you know, with the the Think and Grow Rich is a big part of her philosophy. And most successful people, if you trace back in this country at least, they all that's in their library. I mean, I go, I reread it every single year. That's how important that book is, and I always get something else from it. Each time I read it, it's like the first time all over again. So I'm a big believer in the philosophy that's in there, and I used it and incorporated it, you know, that same year that I was introduced to it. That is the same year I got Fat Joe as a client, and things really turned around for me business-wise. Like my whole life changed as a result of not only just reading that book but implementing you know, the strategies that are in there and also surrounding myself and getting in an environment with others who believe. So I was no longer just a lone, lone ranger, you know, sitting off just trying to do everything alone in a corner by myself. You, you can't achieve a certain level of success by yourself. It, it takes others and like-minded people and relationships and, you know, you have to, you have to, you can't do it without others. There's no way. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I get well, excited. I have to hold myself back. I, I mean, it's so loaded. I like, know, there's I'm, just I'm, so much in that book. Oof. And that came across. It's like, okay, <laughs> is she a believer yeah, or what? And changed everything for me. And it's so funny because um, what I was thinking as you were saying that is that I have been aware of Think and Grow Rich for years and um, someone close to me actually led a mastermind group or at least a phone call on an ongoing basis. And I was supportive of the person, but I never really engaged in the process until Miss Ann. And, and you're right. The moment I started down this accountability path and really reading it mm-hmm. for myself, things began to really happen. I mean, this is proving to be one of the best years ever. And um, it, it, at least as far as my burning desire for what I'm doing right now, I've had some good years before for sure, a great career. But in terms of what I personally want to do right now, um, the strategy met the accountability with with all the information and the belief system, and it's all kicking right now. So I'm I'm really excited about that too. But what I wanted to say is that having the book, is not the mm-hmm. issue. Reading the book is because I've had reading the book for years. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly, it opened Pandora's box because I wanted to read more and more. I went to get the interview of what Napoleon Hill wrote with uh, Andrew Carnegie just so I could get the backstory of how this whole book came about. It just really started me on that quest to seek and know more. I mean, I would not have gotten the Super Bowl. Uh, without that, I would not have. I just think about um, what it did, just implementing that, and that came about through being accountable, having those, literally putting it out there. And you know, Miss Ann definitely will remind you of the things that you said mm-hmm. that you wanted to do. And the Super Bowl, I knew that was my my shot, and I didn't know it wasn't coming back to Miami for a very very long time. So I'm glad that I did that at the time I did it. But it was an unreasonable, insane goal. But I just think about when he said he would have that conversation in the book with his counsel, and I have my own, like, imaginary counsel as to how I was going to get, you know, the Super Bowl committee. That just I was like, I just need one yes, need one yes, and that will change everything. And it did. And I had a counsel every day, so it didn't matter how many times I would get – I got – 17 no's in a row. I'm talking about back to wow. back to back. And this was before the technology is as good as it is now. This is when we had the dial-up <laughs> connection. This was me sending letters, uh, sending an email, uh, sending a fax, and getting the rejection letter back. Like that's 17 times, 17 no's consistently. And I just, I refused. It was a burning desire. And I put together a plan, and I knew I had did the work. I knew I was capable of delivering the service. I just needed that opportunity. And Think and Grow Rich. All just, right. I'm sorry. Like, it's, people sleep on it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the, the blueprint <laughs> is there. It's there. And I'm just so grateful that I implemented it. 
and thank you for for sharing that and all the passion that goes around. I mean, that came behind it. I do have a question for you. <laughs> I have a question for you now because we're getting close to the end of the show. So I always want my guests to to share with us something that I may not have had the foresight to ask you about. So one, your website and all of those kinds of things, but any other thing that you want to share that you have not had an opportunity to do so up to this point? Sure. I would definitely like to talk about what I'm doing now. Um, As I'm transitioning, um, as I put in my uh, bio that I'm retired now uh, with sports medicine, um, the trend of the emotional pain, it, it really prompted me to, uh, one, want to share my story with people and to move more in the emotional health side of things uh, for my company. So I started a a girls' network called Empowered Girls, and I've come out with a whole line of of just inspirational um, products. Um, We're launching a program this year um, in November, um, Thanksgiving weekend, actually, And I've also, um, I'll be doing on the first Wednesday of every month, we'll be doing conference calls uh, specifically dealing with suicide prevention, um, health topics that, you know, specifically affect girls. Um, Anyone's welcome to tune in, but uh, most of my emphasis will now be on just helping girls get over that hump of, especially during adolescence, the challenges that come up and the emotional pain. I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but Suicide is up for women um, between ages 11 and 75. I mean, it, it's, it should be alarming uh, to people with, with where things are going. So I have started what I call the love movement. So um, a lot of the things that you will see about me online, you'll see the made-to-love tag because I am a suicide um, survivor. I'm a teen mom, first-generation college student. So I have been through pain. I have survived a suicide attempt. Um, I get it. I know what it's like in such emotional pain. So I have now shifted a lot of the focus um, for the things that I teach and a lot of the information that I'm putting forth and um, write about is is centered towards emotional health and alleviating the emotional pain that people are, you know, experiencing because in the in your body it's the same physiological response that happens whether it's a physical pain and emotional pain, it's the same process. Your brain literally, your wow. nerves really don't know the difference. And that's how severe it is. And it's concerning to me when you're seeing grandparents and grandmas taking their own lives. You're seeing eleven year olds taking their own lives. So I wanted to do something about the problem and not just sit and say how sad it is because I've been through it. I I know, you know, what it's like, and I just want to do my part in helping to be a part of the solution. So it's called the Made to Love Movement. Um, people can find out more information about me online at MissW.org, which is M-I-S-S-W.org. Um, the name of my company is Abundant Health Services. You can find us on uh, social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm learning how to do Snapchat, um, but you'll see more and more information and workshops from me coming forth along the lines of emotional health, self-esteem, and suicide uh, prevention. That's the direction that um, I'm heading in professionally now. This subject came up quite a bit at our family reunion, which just concluded this past weekend, and it included some vignettes about the family history and what have you, and then talent. And as a part of the talent, there was a mother-daughter poem, a daughter's poem and a mother's response. And to sum it up, the the daughter um, talked about the emotional pain and that nobody was listening and, and nobody, no, no one was, well, no one was listening and no one was cheering for her. And the mother's response was, you have your hands over your ears. I've been clapping and cheering, but you don't hear me. And it was just amazing the response that the family members had and wanting to have copies of that and 
and because they apparently were dealing with it on an individual basis and feeling quite alone. So I know that what you're talking about is 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 heartfelt by a lot of different people. And I am personally the the survivor of a mentally ill mother. And I know that there was a certain point in my life that I went from being from being ashamed and wouldn't utter mm-hmm. the words to when I actually put it in my book that that's what has happened and that that's what I was dealing with. It was like a weight mm-hmm. lifted off my shoulders. It was just amazing how free that was, how free that felt. That you know, and I've said this mm-hmm. over and over again that the world didn't crash in and you know. The the ceiling right. didn't fall in on me when it was happening and people didn't stop talking to me. Right. It, it was a moment <laughs> of freedom. Yes. So it just having amazing. someone to connect to like you, I know mm-hmm. is going to help a lot of people. So you are being blessed because you are a blessing as I see it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate so that. And, yes, you have to know how your story affects someone else, even if they come forward and say it, there's just so many people that may have been liberated by you sharing your story. And I realized the same for myself. So once again, give everybody uh, information on how to reach you, and uh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for everything. Thank you so much for having me. For those who prefer to text, you can text me at 305-792-8847. 305-792-8847. If you're interested in joining um, our email list, you can reach out to me at the Wells of Wellness, all spelled out just as it sounds, Wells of Wellness at yahoo.com. Or you can reach me online, misw.org, M-I-S-S-W.org. Or you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, I'm Ask Miss W, um, and that's M I S S W. Um, or you can just search up, do a Google search for Abundant Health Services, and we'll come up. Uh, all of our social media sites are pretty much um, the same. So uh, we're very, very easy to find, and um, I hope to hear from some of you guys soon. Again, thank you so very much for being our guest this morning. And for my listening audience, next Wednesday, we will have another phenomenal person. So tune in. You all take care. Thank you. Remember, you're made to love. This concludes our show. Thank you for listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction. For more information about NABWIC and our membership, please visit us on the web at www.nabwic.org. We are the voice of black women in construction. Have a great and prosperous day.